and 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 the relative strength goes deeper than just the chart and uh i mean in my opinion it's necessary it really is necessary to filter out the noise of hey this may be a bearish chart it may be a bullish chart but how does it look compared to everybody else is this the most bullish stock you could buy is this right. the most bearish stock you could sell that's what i want <laughs> I only exactly want the best exactly one. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Are you ready to finally learn how the market really works? Well, now's your chance. I have a free book for you over at secretinvestingbook.com. And this outlines 13 of the biggest secrets that Wall Street doesn't want you to know, like how to get a positively unfair advantage in the stock market. This is everything you're going to need all in one place. And the way to get this is by going to secretinvestingbook.com. Now, this book is free. It is free for you. I paid for the book. I just need you to help me out by covering the shipping from our office to your house. So go to Secret Investing Book right now. Get your free copy today, and I'll ship this out right away, and you can get the positively unfair advantage in the stock market by reading these 13 secrets that Wall Street does not want you to know. So get your free book over at secretinvestingbook.com today. The How to Trade Stock Options podcast is now exclusively on sharevision.com, the first dedicated streaming platform for the world of finance, and that's where you can find us every single week over at sharevision.com. Just head to sharevision.com to learn more and type in 10 minute stock trader in the search bar. Come like and subscribe. I can't wait to see you over there at sharevision.com, the first dedicated streaming platform for the world of finance. Today's going to be about just kind of understanding the, the general market, uh, when to start putting more risk on and uh, learn from a new trader. This is the first time that uh, I've been talking to uh, Chris, or do you go by Christopher? Whichever. Oh, Chris is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first time connecting with him, but I, I love his videos. He actually, one, one of the few people on TikTok that also talks about risk management, talks about waiting for the A-plus setups, waiting for the right market conditions to put on your trades and uh, taking profits along the way. So it is nice That's to right. always see uh, another person on TikTok. Oh, you mean like an with, actual with... trader and not one of those uh, <laughs> people that run around with their rented Lamborghinis and their uh, like fake Rolexes trying to, what do they call it? Flo it's not floss, it's flex, right? Trying to flex. Yeah. I'm too old for this, Nick. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to kick it off? Just a uh, quick introduction for the people on yeah. the trade line side hey, that haven't seen let me. Uh, so, yeah, so my name is Chris Friul. Uh I have been uh, trading since 2009. And uh, along the way, I managed to blow up two accounts, which is why risk management is so critical important, and important to me. But in the process, uh, I've been exceptionally fortunate. So I started a uh, podcast to kind of follow my trading journey in um, 2018, I think. Yeah. And by May 2019, it was in the top 10 of the iTunes investing category, which absolutely blew my mind because it was just me in an extra bedroom in my house talking to my phone. Now, I don't know how that happened. But along the way, I had some amazing opportunities to talk to uh, several of the market wizards, uh, including Minervini, including Larry Height, uh, including Tom Basso. I spoke to Jack Schwager. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to, uh, to David Ryan 
or any of the IBD people yet, but I'm working on it maybe one day. But I, I treated all of those as if it was one-on-one consulting sessions, right? And I'm like, I don't know how I got so fortunate, but I am going to milk this as long as I can. So I had all the questions and everything for them. And so what they, what they taught me uh, mainly was very, very similar. And it, it reminded me to what Mark, uh, what Mark said in his interview for Market Wizards. And it's where Jack Schwager stopped the recording and he's like, listen, Mark, you're telling me the same thing that everybody else is telling me. He's like, listen, Jack, I know because it's what works. And so, I mean, Mark is definitely one of the, 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 the people I learned the most from. And I, I, I feel so blessed to be able to, to have a little relationship with him. Um, but, you know, one of the things that differentiates me from what they do is I cannot see chart patterns. Like when people tell me, you know, cup and handles and pennants and flags and all that stuff, like I look at it, I am total glazed over, right? It, to me, uh, I describe it as upside down triangle cheesecakes with the, with the staircases attached to it. I don't get it. I literally cannot understand the chart patterns. Like when, uh, when I was reading through, because as you know, I have lots of books and I'm a huge reader and I advocate for people to read. When I was first reading through uh, how I made money in stocks or what's it called? how to make money in stocks, um, like the first hundred pages are all charts and like I, I just couldn't see it at all. Yeah, it's 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 one of the Bibles of trading, really, like for sure. the whole first hundred pages are charts. And I'm looking through them, Nick, and I'm like, I got my pen, I got my paper, I'm, I'm looking at it. Uh, I'll never forget. Like it's uh, so I like to read really early in the morning while my family's still sleeping, because otherwise I don't get to read because of them. And so I, I, you know, it's dark. I got my my little reading lights on, and I'm reading these, and I'm like, okay, he's drawing a cup and handle, and I'm looking at, it and I'm like, how, why? And then I go to the next page, and he's talking about this base, and you know, this buy point, and other, and I'm like, okay, I see, I understand that moving to a new high counts as a new buy point, but I'm still lost on these patterns. And then what I, I noticed here, and you can even see on all the pages, is uh moving averages right and mm-hmm. so i'm like okay i can't see the patterns but i can see the moving averages like that's clear as day to me so yeah. that's where i key off of is all all moving averages and i when i describe to people how to trade i'm like listen just wait till all the moving averages and all the time frames are moving in the same direction either up or down then you have a decent setup going on right there so that's kind of in a nutshell um, the way that I, I, I like to trade. I, I trade options mostly, uh, long calls and long puts, uh, deep in the money, long calls and puts. And um, that was one of the things I actually learned from Larry Height was using that leverage can get you outsized returns. And when you do the deep in the money, long calls and puts, it acts a lot like a futures contract where you mm-hmm. only have to pay so much up front. You're not paying much in the uh, the option premium and you're getting an insane amount of leverage. I mean, most of the times you're looking at uh, about a 10 to one as if you were buying the stock outright. Um, and most people don't know how to use options that way. Right. Most people are like, I'm going to buy all the YOLO calls, you know, the weeklies and yeah, right before exactly. earnings, stuff. like Yeah. That. And, and that's not the way that you're supposed to use them. <laughs> you want to get them in the money as fast as possible. And if they're already in the money, even better. Like you don't want to pay for all that extrinsic value. Uh, but yeah, so like my, uh, my trading strategy that I, I worked with, um, with, uh, you know, the market wizards and everything, uh, had 172.41% in 2021. So far in 2022, we're up about 14% on the year, give or take. Uh, nice. 
And, you know, this, this year is just absolutely crazy, right? When, when people started trading in the last two years, 2020, 2021, um, they just thought anytime you bought a stock, it went up, period. And now they're actually having to realize what risk means. Right. And Nick, I see so many people right now that are just asking to go broke because they're, they're saying, oh, all I see is value everywhere. It's just value land. I'm going to scoop up everything while it's on sale. And my thought is, listen, A, it's on sale for a reason. B, you don't know how long that sale is going to last. It could go down yep. a lot more than where it is right now. So yeah, that that's me in a nutshell. That That's what I, I like to trade and the, the way that I look to trade. And honestly, every single day, uh, it starts with controlling risk. The very <laughs> first thing I do before I look for any new trades is, can I exit any of my trades I have right now with an exit signal, maybe taking profits, maybe uh, a trailing stop losses, something like that. But before I put on a single trade, I'm looking at what I already have, saying, right. how can I reduce risk today? And and honestly, only real traders know that. <laughs> yeah. And it's because they've of, been through that, that process. That, that was nearly like word for word from uh, one of the interviews that we did with Mark Minervini. He said, my goal is to always improve my worst case scenario, meaning mm-hmm. can I move my stops up to even or into profit? So when we do see those kind of flush days randomly, my worst case scenario, do we put in a higher low on the equity curve? And that, like you said, that's something that a lot of traders, especially on this app that are just starting to to start their trading journey. And, and we're not saying that in a bad way. We've all started our trading journey yeah. at different points. Chris said he blew up two accounts. I've blown up one, one and a half accounts. And it takes those large losses and that, that pain to realize, hey, if I'm going to be around here for 10 years, 20 years trading and, and getting consistent returns, beating the market, the number one thing you have to do is manage your downside risk. And even though that's not the sexy thing to talk about on TikTok, like, oh, where do you put your stop losses? That's the thing that's going to keep you in this game, especially in a poor market environment until we start to see those sales uh, stop being on sale. And then we start to see some liquidity and market leaders popping up. And that's where people have a hard time, in my opinion, is because they they want the entry signal, but they don't want to wait for the entry signal. They want to be told, hey, now is the time to buy the stock. But how did they quantify that? And for me, mm-hmm. like I say, it's moving averages, right? At, at this point right now, all the moving averages and basically every stock are pointing down. You want to just, yeah. you know, Let me throw try it down, they're up. all going to hell. And then you look at, um, you know, 2020 when they thought everything was going up all the time. It was. Uh, there was market breadth everywhere. All the moving averages were pointing up. Every stock had uh, buyers for it. And right now it's not the case. So let's see. Can I shrink down here? I just got to. No, so here, here's the uh, well. QQQs. Yeah. You want to break down some of the moving averages here? This is the 821, 50, and 200 day. That's okay. So I like the 10, 20, and 50. Uh, so mm. they're pretty much the same. Uh, right. But the way that I look for a entry signal is I want to see the 10-day exponential above the 20-day exponential. That's the first sign. Then I want to see price over the 50-day. Those are my three key moving averages. Everything else is secondary, but that tells you a trend right there. And it's math, Nick, right? When, when I right. tell people, they want it to be, you know, magical. They want it to be something uh, hidden or special, but it's not, right? If price, uh, if the 10-day moving average is greater than the 20-day moving average, that means on average, the price in the last two weeks is higher than the last four weeks. That's all it's telling mm-hmm. you. But that also means price is going up and it's just math. And then right. if price uh, goes over the 50-day uh, the moving average, 
that's just math saying, hey, it's now greater than it was over the last 10 weeks. And that's what you want to see. You want to see price stacking on top of the moving averages and going as far as it can, really. Because so like part of those moving averages, tracking those, getting into stocks that are already strong and, and getting stronger is you see institutional demand increasing in these names versus institutions liquidating positions, right? So in 2020, all you saw was consolidation, quick breakout on heavy volume, institutions taking positions. And unlike like me and you and a lot of the people in this, uh, in this chat, we don't move the stock price. Uh, we're, we're smaller traders. We don't have that type of liquidity. But institutions that are trying to build $1 billion, $2 billion, $5 billion positions in these stocks, they can't buy them all at once at the perfect point. So you'll see a buy with heavy volume breaking out, consolidation where retail traders take some profits, we calm down a bit, and then push higher when we're seeing institutional demand increase in the market. And that's all you saw in 2020. A little bit in 2021, uh, more in the like uh, the Fang names and Nvidia, but even 2021 was pretty pretty choppy. And now you're seeing the opposite, right? You're seeing institutions liquidating positions, so every every bounce back is sold into that from these institutions that need liquidity to sell the rest of their shares. And without the wind at your back when you're when you're trading, without those moving averages curling up, you're, you're not going to have high probability setups. No. And, and the institutions, they can't hide what they're doing. I mean, they literally no. are moving the stock price. So just follow the price. Right. I mean, if price is going up, people, institutions, hedge funds, hedge funds, retirement accounts, whatever, they're buying the stock like it's literally supply and demand and it's going up. And then when they're liquidating, they're trying to get out of it as fast as possible. And they, are, they will be glad to sell it to you if you're looking to buy that dip, because that buying the dip doesn't work right now. And a no. lot of people got really hosed because that's all they ever knew, right? I remember mm. my uh, my brother-in-law, who's a band director, a high school band director, he stopped me last year, middle of last year, and he's like, hey, Chris, I heard this thing. It's like when the market's down, you buy more. I think they call it buy the dip. You ever heard of that? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Right now, that seems to be working. Uh, but there's going to be a point in time when the dip just keeps on dipping and nobody knows where it's going to stop. Right. Um, and I got a couple questions in here that we can kind of structure around. But I, I really quickly on that by the dip strategy, that strategy worked because we were in a time where institutions were acquiring positions, building into positions. Now, when the Fed turns off the liquidity, they're tightening, mm -hmm. increasing rates. They're basically just telling like institutions it's time to take risk off. And when you're in a market with low liquidity, you see those daily candles get very, very wide. You see yes. the downtrends occur. And if you're a low risk trader uh, like us using, well, I, I'm not sure with your option trading, but like my trading, I'm trying to use 2%, 3% stops, 5% at maximum. And if you're in a low liquidity environment like we're in right now, you're going to get stopped out all the time with those mm. wide daily ranges. So is it even worth trading in a market that you don't have an edge in? Dude, no joke. I, I, there is no point in trading without an edge. And, and for me personally, 2% is where I'm at. And yeah. honestly, I don't go I don't go anything more than that. Uh, you can't mathematically go with more than that and expect to be, you know, ultra successful, right? Like Minervini, when he won the championship last year, um, like his strategy is I'm going to go in and if it doesn't immediately work, I'm right back out. He does not care about win rates because that doesn't matter whatsoever. It's get right. in, see if it works, get right back out. Get in, see if it works, get right back out. That's why Paul Tudor Jones would trade too. Like he would buy, 
um, tons of futures contracts just waiting for it to work. And if it didn't work right away, he'd be out. But when it mm-hmm. did work, he would ride that as far as it would. And, and you're talking about the 2%. Is that your total portfolio risk or that single trade risk? Total portfolio risk on anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm yeah. very adamant about keeping that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've done a couple of videos about what I call the 1% rule where people that are new to trading or are still kind of in their consistency phase or uh, building into their consistency phase, you only want to risk at most 1% of your account. If you're that great of a trader, you'll be able to find next setup, next setup, next setup. Uh, But the main goal is not to have these large drawdowns in your account. So when you do come back, when the market environment does improve, you're coming back with a full account and a full confidence. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, um, somebody in the chat on my side asked, is it too late waiting for price action across? So that's such a great question. But honestly, that was proven by like the, uh, the historians of trading, the, uh, the, the market wizards, the uh, reminiscences of a stock operator, um, all that stuff, right? Where it's, you know, buy high and sell dear is the way that they said it. Now, clearly we don't speak sell dear anymore, but it's buy high and sell higher, which blows people's right. minds. Right. So when I tell people that they literally look at me like, no, that's not how it works, Chris. And I'm like, no, it actually is like if it's high, it's high because people want to own it. Institutions want to own it. It's not going to be the stock that's, you know, like snap. Right. That's been beaten down for ages and now just took a 40 percent price cut that you could have seen that coming for months. And when you get uh, 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 Brian Shannon, uh, I don't know if you know Brian Shannon. He. uh, Yeah. Uh, 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 um I, I interviewed him twice, I think. I, I learned a lot from him. But one of the things he said is nothing good happens under the 200-day moving average. <laughs> Just keep it like that. Nothing good happens at all. So when you see a big stock that gets smushed like that, like it's not unsurprising to see it's already under its 200-day moving average. That's what I look for. Right. Because, I mean, a lot of the times retail traders, like people new to trading, they're trying to buy the dip because they think the stock is so oversold, it's it's on sale. But what they don't really understand is opportunity cost. Or at least like when I started, I, I did the same thing, tried to buy the dip, tried to buy the cheapest stocks. What I didn't understand was the opportunity cost with that position versus a stock that has already been in an uptrend, has very little overhead resistance, where if you buy a stock that's con- like considerably down, you're fighting two groups of sellers when it starts to trend higher. You're, you're fighting the people who did buy the bottom, luckily, and are up 10% on a 10% move off the lows. And you're also fighting all the people who they bought the dip, it dipped more, and now that they're break even, they can get out thinking like, okay, that wasn't a bad trade because I got out break even. Mm-hmm. So the more overhead supply you have, the, the larger the downtrend the choppier the ride is on the way back up because there's so, so much supply trying to get out uh, for break even. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually I was just right before this, I saw IBD had an interview with David Ryan and it was on the overhead supply topic. And, uh, and uh, I I don't remember where I heard it from. It may have been from him uh, a while ago, but it basically said something like, uh, everybody's happy when you're hitting all new all time highs. <laughs> so nobody wants to get rid of it at that point. And it can continue to go up in a lot easier fashion because there is no overhead supply because everybody's happy. Right. Um, I got a question here. Um, best stop loss philosophy percent or dollar amount under a support or resistance level. So do you want to just talk about like 
your risk on a single trade versus your account and then like how you uh, manage your stop loss. Oh, yeah. and then I, I, I have this down to such a science, Nick. Hang on. So my entire trading strategy I have built in a PowerPoint. And so I meet daily with members of my trading room and we literally go step by step by step. So for me, here, I'm going to turn my, my screen around so you can see it real quick. If I can flip the camera. There we go. So for me, this is the way that uh, it's like the Mandalorian. This is the way. So we call them planned exit points. And I, honest to God, think that this is the better way to think about trailing stops, exits, uh, stop losses. Call them a planned exit point. Then when you hit the planned exit point, Nick, you're not like, oh, man, it's a trailing loss. Oh, man, it's a stop loss. No. I'm just following my plan and I was already going to get out here. It's my planned exit point. So the first thing I ask is, are my profits locked in? So uh, I'll pull up an example in uh, W. So Wayfair, you saw that I was talking about this one earlier today. Yep. Um, Wayfair is one that I'm short in with puts and I'm following the 10 day exponential. That's the blue line right here. Hopefully you can see that. Yeah. Uh, What I'm looking for first is if my, uh, exp- uh, 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 if my moving average passes my entry point, so my entry point is at 5098, let's call it 51. The moving average is at 53 right now. It hasn't passed that. So that's my first question is, are my profits locked in? And I define that as the trend line I will exit from if that is past my entry point. So in theory, mm-hmm. if it goes above that, I'm getting out anyway. So that's why I call that our profits locked in. If they are, I'm just following the back to the trend line. I will literally run that into the ground or to the moon, whichever direction it is. But if right. not, this is where I start with my risk. And I do this every day on every position. If no, which of these points is the least amount of risk? So I start with a half ATR from entry. And ATR is a measure of the average true range over the last 14 days or whatever. So it's basically the daily volatility of the stock. And or whichever comes first, a close above yesterday's high, if we're going short, or the back system trend line's broken. If any of these are true, you exit. It's the least risk point. That's what we're always trying to find. So for me, like when I look at a uh, an exit point, it's the very first thing I'm doing. I'm just looking for my exit points. And if it hits today, I'm out. And I don't stress. There's no, no uh, regrets by following your plan. And that's why I call it planned exit point. It really psychologically, I think makes an enormous difference to call it that. I I love that. And I haven't heard that before. Like you hear the term stop loss and we try Mm -hmm. to kind of stress, don't let your ego decide, let your, let your risk decide, but planned exits. That's, that's genius because really uh, you've said this in in many videos. I've said in many videos, you don't need to win every trade to be consistently profitable. You don't even need to be profitable on 50% of your trades. You can lose more than you win and still be profitable along the way if your winners are larger than your losses. Um, And and taking that ego outside of your exit, even on on a losing trade, is so, so important to keep those losses uh, manageable. Because, I mean, it only takes one time when your ego takes a hold of you and you don't listen to your risk management, you don't listen to your stop, and then that can really damage your account. Oh, no joke, dude. And that's how I blew up my account, uh, you know, Maybe. really both times is because, you know, you you don't want to admit you're wrong. You don't want to no. take the loss. You want to give it extra time. But when you're in the trade, you've got emotions wrapped around the outcome of it. 
And if you were to actually be out of that trade, you would look at it objectively and say, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I can see it's not trending the way that I want it to go. But it's really hard to mentally break yourself from it. And that, that's why I use like a, everything I do is step by step. And mm-hmm. um, that's why I'm saying I'm always finding the least amount of risk. Even if I give up profit, I don't care because I'm not having the risk working against me. I like that. Yeah. Um, shoot. What was I going to say? The. Uh... Oh, man, I had an idea. Forgot it. We'll, we'll come back. No, to it's that. all good. <laughs> that that is a, a great way to to put put it because you have to manage risk, um, especially like, like we're seeing in twenty twenty or twenty twenty two now. If you don't if you don't respect respect risk, uh, it's gonna hurt your account big time. And you know there there's the the Tesla fanboys or the every any any stock you want, right? You pick that stock, and there's the fanboys of that stock and ladies, and um, then they'll say, you know, oh, I bought it at. $29 and it only goes up. So I'm such a genius. Well, no, you did pick a great stock, but you could have gotten in and out and been really successful multiple times over instead of holding it all the way up and then potentially all the way back down. I think a lot of people are having that this year. For sure. Because I mean, a lot of times we're told like you, you try to get the lowest price, the lowest price, that's the best price. But Often the best price is not the lowest price. Almost actually always it, it's not the best price because it's very tough to manage your risk uh, when you enter trying to get in on, on those lows there. What, uh, what questions do you have on your side? Um, I'm seeing a couple things just like about Snapchat. That was uh, in a stage four decline already under all the key moving averages. That's something that like, Chris said he kind of expected that to continue like another drop. Um, I I would say like, I don't know it's going to go down, but the trend is down. Institutions are liquidating positions. So one thing that we try to do at TraderLine is always think in probabilities because kind of going back to that ego, when you think in probabilities, you're never saying I have to be right or wrong. It's just, you have an edge in the market. You want to turn over that edge. And when your edge is in present or when you're wrong on the trade, you just have to get out. So the fact that uh, Snapchat fell that 43%, that was really bad. Probably didn't expect a 43% decline overnight, but something under the 200-day moving average, a declining 200-day moving average, not much good Nothing happens good under that. that happens under the 200-day. Nothing good at all. So so you mentioned talking about edges and, and probabilities and stuff. How do you measure that? Because for me, I backtest every single trade I put on. The reason I do is I like to see... I like to quantify the fact that if if this fits my entry criteria, does this have a uh, positive expectancy? You know, it's speaking in statistical terms, right? And generally, most of the time, like if I backtest something, four out of, uh, let, let me say that, uh, 50% of the time, what I backtest does not have a positive expectancy. So I just move mm-hmm. on, Right. And that's a step that a lot of people don't take. But actually, that was one of the things that was really successful with uh, the turtle traders. Uh, Maybe Mm -hmm. you're familiar with them. That was, I mean, that was something I learned from them and Larry Height specifically. He really, he, I mean, he drilled me when I got a chance to work with him. Like, it was crazy. It was like an old grandpa just yelling at you for two hours. (laughs) It was good. Exactly what you needed. Uh, But, but, uh, I mean, it was back testing and finding that positive expectancy because when you can prove mathematically, I have an edge, then you can move with confidence, but you can also say, Hey, 
this edge, this mathematically proven edge has a 34% win rate on this particular stock. So I know that even if I move with confidence, if I'm wrong, I do need to get out, right? Mm -hmm. Strong beliefs, weakly held. That's a good mantra for traders because you need to have confidence in the trade you put on. But as soon as you're wrong and you're going to be wrong and it's okay, as soon as you're wrong, you got to go. There's no point in hanging out. Right. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's a lot of noise in the market. So you might take an A plus setup and noise will bring you out with this hit your stop. Um, but if you take that trade over and over and over and over again, that's when you can see consistent results. So it's never just one trade. Like I have to be right about this one trade. One trade doesn't matter. Five trades doesn't matter. 10 doesn't matter. Um, but over the long run, are you, are you putting in higher lows on your equity curve? Um, it is something that, that we're really focused on at, at Trader Lion. And that can, that consistency in your position sizing too, uh, because if if you are putting 100% into one trade, you don't want to get out. You're, you want it to be right so bad because you have so much riding on it. And that's why successful traders like us, it, we don't care about the outcome. And it's okay to take a loss because, you know what, I would rather take my 1%, 2% loss on my account and move on and look for more 5 6 7 8% wins on my account than to just hold on to this one hoping and praying. Nick, let me tell you a story. The The second time I blew up my account, it was, um, no, this was the first time. The second time was uh, counter trend trading, which is terrible. I'll tell you that story too. The first time I blew up my account, it was the presidential election with um, uh, Hillary and Trump. And were you trading then? You're much younger than I am. How old are you? Uh, I am 28. I was trading, but I've just gotten into like the, the Minervini, William O'Neill, that, that kind of group. Um, early parts of 2020. So thankfully I, I found it before 2020. No, you, man, but. if, if, if I had found this when I was 26, like you're describing, oh man, I'd be so much better off. I'd be so much wealthier. <laughs> like that's not an understatement. So I'm 36 now. Uh, but in the 2020 election with uh, Trump and Hillary, was it 2020? No, 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 2016, 2016 election with Trump and Hillary. Um, the, the outcome was expected to be Hillary winning. And that was supposedly going to be good for the stock market. Right. And uh, that was what the rumors were. So uh, I put on what's called a call ratio back spread. And that's an options trade. And basically, if the market goes up, think of like a long call. If the, there's there's unlimited profitability. If it goes down, it's, think of it like a short puts where you've got some profitability, but not, not a whole ton. But mm -hmm. if it goes nowhere, if it stays where it's at, Nick, you get like your entire account can be wiped out. So of course I was a genius at the time, or at least I thought I was. And I loaded it. I was like, every penny I got is going into this trade right here. And that night I remember uh, being really excited uh, because Trump was winning, but not only was Trump winning, the market was lock limit down, lock limit down. I'd never seen lock limit down before ever. And uh, I was like, this is crazy and awesome. So I went to bed and I'm like, well, my strategy is going to play out. It's not as much as I would have made the other way, but whatever. All good. The next day, the market market opens up and doesn't stop going up for the next four years, if you remember. I mean, it was just off to the moon. The problem, which I didn't know at the time, was that I set the trades. I, I didn't know that I set the trades to expire on Friday. Well, I didn't really realize what that meant. So election was Tuesday night. 
Wednesday, it's working, but I'm losing money. Thursday, it's working, but I'm losing money. Friday, it's working, and my account is down 67%. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was right. And I got totally hosed on this trade. And that was that was a huge awakening for me. Like you you don't know what you're doing yet. <laughs> and that's the tough part about options, right? Like you have to be right on the timing, right on the direction. Otherwise, that theta decay is just going to destroy you. No doubt, dude. And if, if I had just bought stock in anything, I would have been better off. But chalk that up as a, as a learning lesson, I guess you could say. Now, the second time I blew up my account was... I was following a random, I, this is so embarrassing, but I love telling it because people can relate. A random trader on Twitter that literally did not have their profile picture. It was a profile picture of a monkey. And mm. this person I had seen and followed and, and they had a few pretty good calls. And I was like, all right, this guy knows clearly, this monkey knows clearly what he's talking about. And uh, he was talking about how gold, while it was in a downtrend, I forget when, 2018-ish or so, uh, gold was in a downtrend and... Um, he was saying this is a generational low opportunity for buying gold. And so, you know, exactly the opposite of what we've been talking about. Right. So I, uh, I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. I bought, uh, options and NUGT, uh, dust, GLD, GDX, GDXJ, anything, anything to do with gold. I loaded it. Right. Mm -hmm. Weeks start going past. I'm watching as every day. The trend is going down every single day down and down and down and at at some point my family and i would take off to a vacation at disney world and i, I remember looking out the window and this is so, so embarrassing but also probably really relatable to people i remember looking out the window at disney world and i was like this is supposed to be the happiest place on earth and i'm so depressed because i can't even look at my phone because every time i look at my phone i see that i'm losing more and more money and I, when i got back from disney world i'm like all right I can't, I have to make the bleeding stop. And again, I blew up my account because yeah. I didn't respect risk and I didn't like follow the trend and the trend. I mean, it was just plain as day going down, mm -hmm. but of course I thought I knew better. And a lot of investors are getting suckered into that right now for sure. Yeah. And I think one thing to point out here is Chris is fine telling his stories about losses, about major losses, because he's been able to turn around by respecting risk, building his whole strategy about protecting that downside. And a lot of the traders that you see on TikTok, especially in 2020 and 2021, not so much now, is they've on they only show their winners. And there, there's that's kind of the problem with social media is everyone just puts up their their A plus setups, their A plus wins, all their big their uh, big winners, but they don't talk about the losses. So when we're trying to educate new traders or like really just building our, our own strategy up, we don't get exposure to learning how to manage losses, exposure like to, to, uh, to those losses. And that's something that I've been trying to do on, on my own channel. And on like the trader line, TikTok is really talk about losing because it's so important. It's, it's more important than, than winning is how you manage the downside. I think that that's why I've been successful as far as like podcasts goes, social media goes and things like that is because like I'm as transparent and open as it comes. And I am not. I, I have seen some people. Um, and as soon as they're like, as soon as it cuts to their Lamborghini or whatever, I immediately turn off and I'm like, you're, you know, you <laughs> are an insert expletive there, ex expletive. 
And like, I just don't care for that. And I, I know other people don't either. Plus, if I can teach somebody how to trade and they don't have to make the exact same expensive mistake that I did, they're going to be way better off. And Nick, like I say, man, you were really smart in finding people who actually knew how to trade because the people I learned from, it was all theory. It was all sell call options when the market's going up, uh, sell put options when the, when the market's going down. Basically, step in front of every trend you can because, <laughs> hey, you're selling these options. They're so far out of the money, it's never going to happen. And it, it, I was like potentially the one person that ever just could not sell options for profit. Like it just never worked. And right. and I remember I remember one year uh, at the end of the year, I was down, n- not like a crazy amount, not, not, it wasn't one of the blow up years, but I was down and I was looking at my accounts uh, over the year and, and I keep meticulous notes. Like I know every entry, every exit, when, why, everything. And uh, I was convinced that iron condors were like the way to trade stocks because in theory, an iron condor can have the price go up or down or stay where it is. You can profit in all, all of those ways. But it always seemed to blow through the short strikes. You know, it always seemed to go through my calls or it always seemed to go through my puts. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. At the end of the year, it had an 80 something percent win rate, which is what you would almost expect with Iron Condors. But 90% of all the dollars I lost that year were on that strategy. And the, the math behind it just does not work, right? When you sell an option, let's use round numbers. You sell an option, a $5 wide strike, $5 wide credit spread. You're taking in $100 in credit. You have $400 in risk. For some reason, Nick, it was almost like every time I put this on, because I was counter trend trading, I would lose all $400. But every once yep. in a while, I'd get it right. I'd make my $100 back. <laughs> but then I'd need four right in a row just to break even. So, yeah, I, 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 I clearly some people have success with it. I could not figure out how to do it. And and I'm not like super stupid or anything. <laughs> it just did not work for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something that I think is super important is finding a strategy that, that fits your personality and one that um, you don't feel the need to, to jump to strategy to strategy. Cause that's, I mean, yeah. when I started, it was literally every three months I'd listen to a podcast with someone else, try their strategy out. I don't trade it as well as the pro in that one specific strategy. So of course I'm losing money and I'm like, this strategy doesn't work. Hop to the next one. (laughs) And it it was really only until like 2020 when I sat down, read all the William O'Neill, listened to all the Mark Minervini stuff that I'm like, okay, this low risk strategy that has great upside, but very low risk entry points that fits my personality much, much better because uh, as with probably many traders, you get a, a little bit of a gain and you want to sell into that. But then when you start to lose, you, you start to feel really bad. Right. Um, I think so, that's one of the hardest things for traders, honestly, is the uncomfortableness of winning trades, right? Because sure. you see that green in your portfolio and you're like, that'd be nice to have. I'd like to take that off. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll get it another day. Another day it goes by and it works. And you're like, Oh, well, you know, I think it's about time to pull it off there. It can't go up any further. Right. You come back a week later and you're off $10 on where it is now. And you're like, all I had to do was not sell and it would have been great. So that, that's why when, when I trade and when I, I teach people how to trade is it's like, you need an exit point. That's honest to goodness. One of the reasons that, or one of the things that I have a hard time with in this book is because the exit points are more subjective. The exit mm-hmm. points are more like, this could be a blow off top. You could sell into this. 
And for me, I need a defined exit point. I need the planned exit point like we're talking about there. I, I have to quantify it. Otherwise, I'll just be like, well, I had a good day. I guess I'll take off all my profits. So that, that's so the do one you drawback have, I have in that book. Do you have price targets then on the upside? No. Or is it always the the moving average that you use as a trading no, style? I, I, I love the idea. And, and this is what I do is letting it run as absolute far as possible until it breaks through the moving average going back down. So you're not mm -hmm. trying to catch the bottom. You're not trying to catch the top. You're trying to catch the meat in between the right. two points. And also when, when we do the back testing, right, that's how the back testing works is it says, you know, if I'm entering above the 10 day, I need to let it run until it goes back below the 10 day. And then that's a confirmed exit signal. So no, in fact, I actually pyramid into trades, mm -hmm. um, which uh, really can get profitable very, very fast. Uh, we had a winner in KHC. Uh, not that long ago, Kraft Heinz, before it collapsed recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was up 344% because I was just stacking it. As every day mm -hmm. that went by and it was moving up, I'm like, more, more, more. Press that gas pedal, right? And then when it stops and when it turns around, that is your exit point. And that that's really tough, too, because um, a lot of people, when they see uh, a trade working, they want to have that that target. But Nick, like, let's say your target's $15 and it blows past the 16, 17, 18, and then starts coming back down, right? You could have got a couple extra bucks out of it if you had just let it run as far as it can. So mm -hmm. is that something you do? Do you have a, do you have targets that you use? Uh, a little bit. So what I really like to do is look at my trading statistics of the last 10 to 20 trades that I've taken. Um, definitely just stealing this trade from Minervini, but um so it, it kind of gives you feedback of how successful have you been in the market? What type of market are you in right now? Even, even if you're playing the short end, there has been a lot of those short covering rallies, a couple of days here and there. Um, so it's been a much quicker market to trade in. You got to take your, your profits quicker. So say my average gain on my last 10 trades, last 10 winners um, is like 8%. Then when I get a stock that moves out, it goes through 8%. I'm taking either a third, um, it depends a little bit, but usually like a third of the, the profit into that 8%, moving my stop to even. And then if we are in a trending market and we continue to push higher and I get to 20%, 25%, then eventually when I lock in that rest, the rest of that gain, my average gain of the last 10 trades is also going to go up. So then when I put on a new trade, now it's 9% the first kind of layer of, of mm -hmm. profit taking there. So that, that's a good way, at least for me, to bend a little bit with the market. If my average gain on the last 10 trades is now down to 3%, I know this is, this is a tough environment to be trading in. I should be trading with smaller sizes, and I should be looking to exit very quickly. And that's something that Minervini did so well in 2021 was he's like, after February, or yeah, after the last part of February, his average gain just dropped to 6%, 7%. And he just turned that edge over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. The It's so smart that you do journal all your trades. And, and like I said earlier, I keep metic meticulous notes. Like if you aren't keeping track, um, you, you, you have no idea if what's working or what's not. Um, and especially in the options world, right? You've got a lot more variables. Uh, one right. of the things uh, that, so the head options educator for TG Ameritrade his name is Rance. Uh, he and I worked together for a while. And uh, he told me one day, and, and, and this made so much sense in the world. He's like, if you're selling options, you want to sell with expirations as fast as possible. You want that to expire as fast as possible because you're taking on more risk 
than you're willing to gain. But if you're buying options, you want to go as uh, uh, twice as long as your average. But if you're selling options, you want to go half as long as your average. So for example, if I'm uh, in an average winner for seven days, if I'm going to buy options, I want at least 21 days out. That's where my mm -hmm. head is at. I want 21 days out. I might go one or one cycle before, one cycle after, but 21 days out is where I'm looking. If I'm selling options, three and a half, not three and a half, but two to four days, that's right. where I'm looking to have them expire because I want them to expire as fast as possible. The people that I learned from initially, Nick, uh, this was some of the, the, the issues that I had was that they had their theory. They had their, their, uh, their math would say, go 45 days to expiration. Do you know how much can happen in 45 days, Nick? The war can start. And, <laughs> and, and like, you, the, the average holding time for them is uh, like three or four weeks after that. So you're putting on a tray with 45 days expiration. You're going to hold it for 21 to 28 days. And surely in the next 28 days, nothing's actually going to happen. No, dude. It's like exactly that. Every single time <laughs> something goes wrong. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I am not a day trader by any stretch. And uh, Mark, uh, I really love Mark's quote about that. He's like, I'm an opportunist, right? If something comes across my desk, and it fits my strategy, I'm taking it. But I also know I'm only going to hold it as long as it works. So uh, I trade at the end of the day when all the liquidity comes through in the last 30 minutes, 45 minutes or so. That's really the only time I'm trading. And I'm putting on a position, and then I'm not even looking at it until the next day around that time. That's what I'm determining my risk. Because that intraday fluctuation, that intraday volatility, that can take you out of trades that you don't mean to. Mm -hmm. But... If you have your planned exit point and you say, okay, if it's above my planned exit point, if I'm short, or if it's below my planned exit point when I'm long, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. One data point, right? You're not mm -hmm. stressing about it at 930, 1030, 1145. You're saying my one data point for today is the last 30 minutes. Where is it at? Okay, I need to make this move or that move. That makes it a lot easier too, because I remember struggling thinking, when do I trade? Uh -huh. I mean, one, one time to trade when all the liquidity is there and you're golden. So are for your options that, that you're trading, do you place a stop loss intraday or are you just waiting till the end of the day and then making that decision to take it? No. Uh, the only, I don't, I don't put anything in the market. Um, it's not going to get tripped at all. I only put on uh, my closing trades at the end of the day when I'm so, so the goal here is uh, last 45 minutes, log in, start, start the whole process. By the last 30 minutes, that's execution time. And so first is starting with, hey, do I need to take these trades off? Do I have confirmed planned exit points that are being hit? If so, execute those, then move into the new trade segments, right? Into any new trades. So yeah, for sure. And that's also why- Do you have why, any protective, uh, like, so say you, you're in a stock on the long side, you have calls, and say it's just getting clobbered down 15%, it'll be well below like your planned exit, um, and that happens like during the beginning part of the day. Do you have like a protective get out like level? The protective get out level is your position size. Because okay. if you position size correctly, you can get wiped out in that trade and you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And um, that was something specifically that Larry Height worked on with me is it's like, listen, you put your risk at this amount. That amount is part of how big you trade. If it's one contract, 10 contracts, 100 contracts, whatever it is, 
your position sizing using ATR, that average true range that we talked about earlier. So yep. using that and uh, you're basically multiplying it with your account balance to get an appropriate number of shares or appropriate number of contracts. And then you roll with that. And that should keep you in the 2%. I mean, worst case scenario, 5% of your total account gets totally wiped out if it goes to zero. Mm-hmm. But you can be pretty defensive, clearly. Like it, you're, you're not letting it work for you days at a time. It's just one day. If it's past your planned exit point, you're done. You know what I mean? It's got to be objective. Yep. Um, sorry, one sec. My, my dog's making a bunch of noise here. I'm going to go to the other room. That's no, all good, dude. Um, let's see here. All right. Set this up. Actually, shoot. Let me grab this stand. Sorry about this. Hey, by the way, while you're doing that, I'll uh, go through some comments here. Jonathan Jaduce says, hello, fellow investors. Doesn't that many stats depend on capital? Capital is really subjective, right? You can be successful with any size account. What it has to do with is executing the plan, right? Honestly, what we do could work on a $5,000 account or a $5 million account. It's the same principles. You're just changing your position size to fit that uh, that account size. Uh, it is a long-term value investor. I'm so glad traders think they know better. Me too. Um, are your exits or dollar based ahead of time? So exits are percentage based and it, it really has to, I I went through those earlier, but it has to do with, um, having that planned exit point and then finding the least amount of risk. If the least amount of risk is hit, I'm out. There's no questions asked. So what about you, Nick? How do you determine your exit points? Because, um, I mean, that, that's really, uh, a a tough thing for a lot of people because they don't know when to get out. Yeah, so the first thing first is always the protective stop on the downside. Um, Usually I try to keep that like at most 5% um, from my entry point and I'm not putting my entire account into every single trade. So going back to that 1% rule, if I'm taking a 5% stop loss, then I need to put at most a 20% position size of my my total account on there to get 20% times 5%, 1% total risk. Um, so the, the tighter I can get my stop under either the day's low, the previous day's low, um, a key moving average, key support area, the tighter I can get my stop, the larger position I can take. And then if it works right away, then I can move my stop to even really get multiples of my risk on, on that trade. Um, but I, I'd like to say I'm not a day trader by choice, but if I get stopped out right after I put on the trade, I get stopped out. I can't do anything about that. Managing risk is always always the number one priority. Um, when things do start working, then it's okay. I like to peel some off. So you talked about how you're scaling into the trades. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a trending market, that's exactly what I would be doing as well. But in this tough, uh, very choppy, low, uh, low liquidity market, I'm more so putting on my full position right at my entry point and then trying to scale out of the risk as, as quickly as possible. And there's two ways to scale out of risk. You can scale out by taking partial profits, like I mentioned earlier, taking a third of the position off into strength, um, or you can move your stop up to your break-even point. So there's still gap-down risk overnight. You can't yeah. do too much about that. Um, but outside of that, by moving your stop to even, you don't have any of the, what I like to call initial capital risk, right? So. If you take that, that say you have a, uh, 
you have a thousand dollars of risk on on a trade. Once that trade starts working, you put your stop to even. Now that's a risk free trade uh, going forward. If it's a trending market and it's a strong stock and a strong uh, strong group, chances are you're going to get multiples of your initial risk um, of profit. And then what you can do using progressive exposure is you take that initial one thousand dollars of capital risk that you put on this trade. And then you take a new trade because you have your stop at even. You don't have that initial capital risk on trade A. You can now take trade B, double your exposure with the same amount of initial initial risk. And then if that's, you do hit that trending market, you have double your exposure. That's really when you're putting your the pedal to the metal. And it, the, it's the market telling you that you're able to do that. It's not yeah. you saying, I, I've lost the last five trades. I got to get it all back. It's the last thing that you want to be doing. Dude. Um, that progressive exposure is kind of in a nutshell, the way that I scale into trades. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that works really well with options is you can, uh, what's the way to say it? You can really turn it on as far as capital and risk, or you can turn it off and you can do it really quickly. Um, for, for example, one of the things I like to do is like, let's say I have a trade that's working really well. As soon as I get 75% gain or so on those options, I'm looking to roll those up. When I roll those up, let's say I go from like 50 to 55 on the, the call strikes, right? If I'm rolling it up from the 50, I'm sell to close, buy to open the 55s. But then I've reduced my risk in the trade. I've probably taken on $5 back on that, mm -hmm. uh, on that position. Then I can actually double. I can put on two contracts or twice the size or whatever the case is. I can put on twice the size and um, it's really about the same amount of margin to start with right. somewhat like what you're talking about um, and then just continue to do that as it goes up you can continue to roll up that whole way reducing risk into a point where you actually have like hardly any risk on whatsoever because you've reduced it so much like what you're talking about there and just letting the trade run so really for, for people watching we're trading different strategies we have different entry points one's using options one using common stocks but there are similarities that allow us to be consistent in trading. And it all scales back to risk management as your priority and really only add exposure if your initial exposure is working for you. And that's that's something that it took me a long, long time uh, to understand and, and to take those losses before I started implementing it in my trading strategy. No doubt, dude, you're totally right. In fact, uh, this book right here, How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market, a lot of my strategy is similar to this, where it's like you put in one uh, one unit, right? If that unit's 10 or 100, like Darvis would say, right? He's going to put in his uh, pilot buys is what he would call them. Yep. When it starts to work, he'll put in his full size. And then if it gets into a new Darvis box, he'll add another and he'll add another and he'll add another until it peaks and then comes back down into his Darvis box. It's exactly trading with moving averages. But it's so yeah. cool to see like, and, and that's the deal, right? You go back to 50, 60 years. They figured it out. A hundred years ago, Jeff, Jesse Livermore, all those guys, they figured it out. All we're doing is just adding technology onto what they did, right? The fact that I can, uh, I don't have to calculate moving averages by hand, right? right. That was actually something we, we've they talked got about in the Market Wizards books. They had to come in every day and update the moving averages by hand. Like, um, we can back test in seconds on a screen. I, the, the, there's no excuse for not being successful, especially when there's people like you and I who put out so much content. We give away the farm, but it takes that person to actually understand this is really how it works. These people know what they're talking about. 
it's really tough for a lot of people. They don't want to believe that people can actually discuss it, right? They'll, they'll have some excuse like, yeah, if they really knew what they were talking about, they wouldn't be on TikTok talking about it. Well, why wouldn't we? I enjoy this. This is fun. Nick, right. I did 600, 600 podcasts before I started TikTok. And when I got on TikTok, I'm like, oh, this is fun. I don't have to dress up. I can just like <laughs> quick, sit in my, quick. my home library. Like I can do whatever I want on the screen. This is great. I wear a hoodie. The best video that I ever made, I had not showered and I was wearing a dirty <laughs> hoodie and it got over a hundred thousand views of people because it's, it resonated with the audience. And I'm like, Ooh, I like this. This is way better than like having to get dressed up and, you know, work hard and do editing and stuff. No, I just do it on my phone. Doom done easy. I love this. This is fun. Plus mm -hmm. what really drives me, Nick, is what I call the wealth ripple effect. So uh, on my profile, I, I actually wrote a book called The Secret Investing Book. Um, on my profile, I, I have this for free. And um, what drives me is what I call the wealth ripple effect. And in the wealth ripple effect, think of it this way. If I can teach you how to trade and you go on to have a son or daughter that goes to medical school, that son or daughter goes on to medical school and uh, takes up residency in a uh, heart hospital. And then maybe one day I have a heart attack and I need to be uh, worked on by your son or daughter. You paid for your son or daughter to go into medical school with the proceeds of learning how to trade. So in theory, that wealth ripple effect came all the way back around and helped save my life. So I love that. That drives me more than anything. And that's why I give my stuff away for free. That's that's why I have hundreds of podcast episodes. That's why I give my book away for free. That's why I do everything is because that wealth ripple effect I know is real. And I know that if it were not for people doing what I do, I wouldn't be sitting here, right? If Minervini had not published his books, had not been interviewed for the Market Wizards, I, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. So it's real, man. No. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think people are skeptical for good reason. Like you've seen the junk that gets put, put out on, on Twitter, on YouTube, TikTok, especially. So I, I think it's important for people to come, come to like stock traders with some skepticism, but the, the number one thing that always kind of differentiates uh, people that I respect on TikTok and people that I don't is do they talk about losing trades? Because if they're trying to just sell a product without actually educating you, they, they're always like, our team is always right. Here's 100%, 200%. But the people that are like really stressing risk management, talking about losing trades, talking about how to manage losses, those are the people that, that you need to really latch onto and learn from. Because if you check Twitter, those are the people, like everyone on uh everyone that we interview on the trader lion channel they're very humble because the market's humbled them you don't you don't get through yeah. a, a trading career without being humbled so the people that you need to learn from are the ones that are like that ah, there's a there's an easy loss took it for a small loss next one next one it's not the people that are like we never lose we're always right those are the people you need mm -hmm. to run away from no doubt hey um what do you have on your chat on your side? I've, I've got some more chat coming through on my end. I'd love to hear what you got on your side. Um, got a couple about, let's see. Um, do you think the market is going to recover? I would say eventually, but that you don't have to pick the bottom of the market to be a very successful trader or investor. Uh, we got to wait for the uptrends in both situations. Um, Chris talks about waiting for the, 
is it the 10 and the, the 20 day EMAs? Yeah. Have the 10 cross over the 20 and price over the 50. That's a confirmation signal. Right. And, and I'm, I'm similar. You always want to add, I'm talking about uh, stacking probabilities on your favor. So market trend, is that in your favor? Are you trading stocks in strong groups, the strong stocks in those groups? Um, here, let me bring up a chart of something. Hands. So a lot of the times we hear, um, like, buy the dip because that's cheap. But you can see what's happening to ARC, who's most heavily invested in stage four downtrends. But instead, you want to look at stocks like coal, AMR, very strong uptrend. You got the 200-day, the 50, the 21, and the 8, all in the right order. Price above all of them. Nice, clean uptrends. Um, so when, when you get when you start stacking those things in your favor, just like any poker player, anything you do in life, it's all a game of probability. And if you have probability on your side, that's when you have an edge. That's when you trade. But you still have to think of probabilities, which means there's no absolutes, meaning you can be absolutely wrong and you still have to manage your downside. Mm -hmm. uh, managing your downside is that should be the most important thing you do every day. Right. I, I can tell you for a fact, there are no, well, I don't say no, but there probably have been a couple that got lucky, but there are no successful traders who have lasted that had diamond hands. Nobody has diamond hands in the, in the real world. No, because the, the chances that you, you do pick Tesla as it IPOs and just never trade it again. That's awesome. But how many people are going to be able to, to, to find that, that one stock and have the conviction to hold all throughout. Um, yeah. I, I would rather admit that I'm wrong all the time, take very, very small drawdowns in my account. And then when, when the going's good, when the market's trending, then we can start to, to press on the gas, but For make sure. it as easy as you can to be wrong. If you can do yeah. that, that yeah. then, then it's so easy to manage your risk because you go in thinking, all right, I'm going to be wrong on this. No doubt. Um, so somebody had a question on my end. Have you heard of Curtis Ray? And do you know any of his thoughts on MPI version of an IUL? I have no idea what all this means. I don't know who Curtis Ray is. Does that ring any bells for you? Oh, that's the guy who does the uh, like whole life insurance stuff. Oh, um, you know, actually, I sold insurance in college. Uh, that was really? actually my, my job when I was going to, uh, when I was working on my MBA, I was an uh, insurance salesman at State Farm. But I don't know what this person's talking about. Yeah. Um, Life insurance is I, a terrible investment, by the way. That's what they want to sell you on, but it's a terrible investment. The, yeah, that's that's his whole whole thing. Um, I, and I, I before I became a full-time trader, I was an actuary uh, for an insurance company. So, Oh, were you? How funny. Uh, big, big risk management guy here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I uh, So I sold insurance while I was in college. And then when one of my jobs in corporate finance, I was... Uh, 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 FP&A, you would know FP&A um, at a uh, insurance company in Dallas. Um, and I, I hated that job. Oh my gosh, I hated it so much. Uh, but sometimes you got to do what you do. You got to do to pay the bills. Exactly. Uh, somebody That's asked, do you even lift, bro? I do lift, bro. <laughs> what about <Ooh>. you, Nick? <laughs> I'm not a lifter. Uh, I ran cross country and track in college. So I'm about as weak as it gets uh, upper body wise. <laughs> but lungs and legs are there for me. I, I thought that was a funny question. <laughs> um, let's see. Amazon. Yeah. 
Um, so Can yeah, somebody about- that my uh, my book is not free. The book cost me five dollars and thirty three cents to print, and then six dollars and fifty four cents to mail it. So all I ask is that you cover six dollars and fifty four cents. And Nick, I don't know about you, but every one of these books on my shelf, I had to pay for, and I read them, and those have been the most valuable cheat codes of anything ever. Like Minervini talks about how um, you spend $20 on a book and you get somebody's decade of trading, a decade right. of learning all in one place. I mean, there, there's no better deal on the planet than books. So you're right. It does cost $6.54 to send. And if that's too much for you, maybe trading's not cut out for you. I'm sorry. Uh, right. But you know, take it or leave it. Your call. One of our traders at Trader Lion, uh, Richard Moglin, just put out a tweet today that said, "Your first hundred dollars to invest," and it was the William O'Neill book, Mark Minervini book. Yeah, it's like these books are less less than a hundred dollars a book, and it's the highest ROI that you can get because mm-hmm. when you you're first starting out, like I wish I, I've done a couple TikToks about this, but the first book starting off. Like, I wish I would have read this in 2012 when I started my Robinhood account and started day trading is how I made $2 million in the stock market by, yeah. by uh, Chris Darvis. By, by this, did you use this one or a different version? This one has commentary by Steve Burns, who I also learned a lot from. Um, I have a different version. And okay. then also there's a, I think there's a free PDF online or it's like a dollar or something like that. So um, that, that book's about a when did it take place like 1960 oh it's like 50s no 50s? i think it was 50s and he was a like a ballet dancer or yeah ballet kind of... dancer in las vegas yeah uh, and i i honestly can't do pdfs when when t- people talk about kindle and stuff dude when i go through a book i ruin it like and Same. uh like there's there's nobody who would want to buy this on resale and i'm a huge reader like in uh 2021 one of my goals was to read 100 books in 2021. I read 110. I had a best year of my life. I mean, Dang. fiction and nonfiction, doesn't matter. It's all about just getting your mind uh, into different different aspects, right? Um, but if, if I had to pick one book, and this would be good for you too. Good question for you. If I could pick one book, I would actually pick New Trader, Rich Trader by Steve Burns. I, I don't have it on my shelf. It's in my bedroom. Um it's on the, the list to read again this year. I think I've read it eight times, but I love it because it's, it's written just like rich dad, poor dad. And in that book, he there, you know, there's, there's one gentleman that's the rich trader. One gentleman, that's the new trader and new trader talks about all his mistakes and he goes to rich trader for advice on everything. And when you're reading through it, you can see so much of yourself in both new trader and rich trader. And as you evolve, you'll see more of yourself in rich trader and less of yourself in new trader and vice versa as you know, as you get started. And it's honest to goodness, if there's one book and listen, I've read, uh, you know, tens of thousands of books, I guess, but one book, I would recommend that one. It's easy. It's like a hundred pages. I mean, it'll take you two hours to get through, but there's so much deep, deep gold in there. All right. All right. What's your one book? Man, I, I haven't heard of that book before, so I'm going to have to pick that Dude, up. And, and you know, it's like it. eight bucks on Amazon. You need to get it real quick. It's so yeah. good. Um, yeah. So I, I think I would go with Nicholas Darvis's book just because it, mm. it starts off with kind of like a brand new trader going through. Yeah. And it, he read or he wrote literally every 
example of what Nick Drendel did wrong when he first started trading. So <laughs> like going through that, I was like, okay, I did that. I did that. I did that. Now mm-hmm, he's doing this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing that. Now he's doing that. Like, so going through that, it was a great, great read. And it's also like 150 pages, super, super quick. You could read it over the weekend. Nice and easy. Um, that would be the first book that I would start off with if I was new to trading or if I'm like new from 2020 um, and just going through kind of your first bear market. And then I, I would pick out like William O'Neill's or Mark Minervini's book as like a, a backup. Sorry, dude. My I had someone call me there, so it kicked me off for just a second. Okay. So uh, I heard Mark Minervini's book is a backup, and then uh, the $2 million in the stock market would be like your, your, your first pick. Did I miss anything there? Yeah. Um, and then I just say uh, How to Make Money in Stocks. Sorry. Uh, William O'Neill would be right on there with Mark Minervini's. You know, in in this one, um, one of the things that I never considered that I use daily is relative strength. And that's so critically important. And I, I gave a whole webinar on this, right? It's like, imagine you have a scanner, because I like scanners, um, and you've got 100 charts that come through on the scanner. You don't have time to go through trading 100 charts. Nope. <laughs> so take that one step further and say, what's the relative strength of these stocks? And uh, I do my own relative strength calculation. It's really similar to what's in here, but um, it's basically like the average gain divided by average loss of your stock, the average gain of your average loss divided by SPY. You divide those two numbers together. That okay. gives you an apples to apples relative strength for anything that you want to pick out. Mm-hmm. And um, that really helps narrow the field, right? Because here's what's cool, right? You can see if the relative strength is growing or if the relative strength is shrinking, kind of like an IBD land, right? If, if the blue yep. line is moving up or blue line is moving down, that tells you everything you'd want in the world, right? If the charts are set up and then you got the, uh, the relative strength that's increasing, you have a really solid setup here. Yeah. One of the, one of the gold standards that uh, Ross Haber looks for on, on our team is relative strength new high before price. And especially in a bear market, you're not going to see price kind of peak before your relative strength line. But if you get relative strength breaking into new highs before price, you know that that's a stock that no matter what's going on in the market, people are refusing to sell. And instead of trying to buy the the junk off the bottom, I would rather own the things that even when everything is terrible in the market, for some reason or another, people are refusing to sell. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that relative strength line, if I had anything like, the more you trade kind of the less indicators you need. Um, yeah. I, I remember when I first started, I had 40 indicators telling me 39 different things and made it very, very complex to uh, keep a strategy in mind. But the more I peel back, it's really just moving averages and that relative strength line, because that, that tells the story. It does. And, and, and the relative strength goes deeper than just the chart. And uh, I mean, in my opinion, it's necessary. It really is necessary to filter out the noise of, hey, this may be a bearish chart. It may be a bullish chart, but how does it look compared to everybody else? Is this the most bullish stock you could buy? Is this right. the most bearish stock you could sell? That's what I want. <laughs> I only exactly. Want the best one. Exactly. Yeah. It's not about being right and picking that, that stock off the bottom. It's as investors, we want to be in the strongest stocks, in the strongest group, in a strong market, or we want to be in the weakest stocks, in a weak group, in a weak market. That's how you stack probability on your side. Yep. 
You got it. That's so great. Nick, is there any any other comments or any other areas you want to go down? We've already been on for over an hour, dude. This was uh yeah, this was man. easy. Right? <laughs> yeah, whenever you want to do this again, um I, I would be up to it. I don't see any specific questions. <laughs> um so I think let's just go where where can people like learn more uh from you about you, about your podcast, stuff like that. Oh, for sure. So 10minutestocktrader.com is my hub. And uh, where I came up with that was um, when I had to learn how to trade, I had to pull an iPad. But, okay, so I, I was working in a corporate job and I couldn't trade on the computer. So what I did is I got an iPad with a data plan and I would bring my backpack to work every day and I would pull out the iPad and I'd have to execute all my trades. And so I was like, I only have 10 minutes a day to trade. And so I started it like a blog, 10minutestocktrader.com. Uh, but in all reality... Um, I, I was not a writer. <laughs> so I very quickly figured that out. And I, I, I transitioned into doing a podcast, which you can find that on, on YouTube or, or any other podcast. Just type in 10 Minute Stock Trader. Um, my link in my bio. And I've got tons of free resources there. I've got the YouTube channel. I've got the podcast. I've got uh, free books, free trainings, all kinds of stuff. And then you can learn uh, how you can trade with me on a daily basis as well. But dude, like this is a, at one point was a hobby and turned into an obsession and you're probably a very similar way. And so it's like, I, I eat, sleep and, and breathe stock trading and uh, having it in a defined system where I know exactly step by step by step what I'll do every single day, no matter what the circumstance is, just makes life so much easier as a trader. Doesn't guarantee you're going to be profitable. But it does guarantee that you're not going to get in your own way. <laughs> that can be a really hard right. choice. Uh, and I did get a question before I jump into the trade line stuff. Um, can you repeat why you only trade in the last hour? Oh, for so the the market liquidity matters a lot, especially in uh, options trading. Right, you want to be there when everybody else is there. So for me, I'm looking at the end of the day. And if you look on a, an intraday chart, they have the little volume bars at the bottom. The biggest spikes are in the first and the end. This is fact. This is not opinion. And so right. that's when all the big institutions, all the hedge funds, um, all the money managers, everybody's coming to town because they all have to execute their trades by the end of the day. So you're basically joining the pool when everybody else is jumping in the pool too. That's why I like to go at the end of the day. In all reality, there are days where I don't trade at all. I'm just managing my risk. I'm pulling down my stops or whatever the case is. And so it could be in and out in less than a minute. But then there's days like today. I had I had so many setups today, Nick. It was the biggest setup day I've ever had ever on the short side. And I, I didn't even have time to put them all on. I was just, I was running out of time and I was crippled by opportunity, as we were mentioning a minute ago. But I, I mean, you just got to go with what you have the ability to do and not stress. Could there be some of the trades that were set up I didn't get a chance to make? They're going to be huge. Yes. But I can't control that. You're not going to catch everyone. You're not going to catch everyone. You can only work with what you got there. That's awesome. a great question, though. Yeah, he says, uh, but in options, by the end of the day, opportunities, especially intraday, are lost. I think he, he touched on this. He's not trading like the weekly options. So No, I'm not day trading anything. The last time I day traded, Nick, I spent all day long watching my screen, and I came away with $8. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm never doing this again. I probably <laughs> lost eight years of my life for $8 in stress 
no, I'm never doing that again. So I position trade with the options. You know, someone I don't like calling names. Uh, some people will call it swing trading, but I'll be in a trade for as long as it takes. And if that means I get out the next day, I get out the next day. If it means I hold it for three weeks, I hold it for three weeks. Awesome. All right. Um, and then for, from my side, um, so you can follow TraderLine. We have a Twitter account. Uh, it's TraderLine underscore there. And then on YouTube, we interview some of the, the top traders. Mark Minervini, David Ryan, many U.S. investing champions, stuff like that. Uh, we also have a private service um, that goes through. We have three separate watch lists along with kind of liquidity areas in the market to watch uh, with weekly videos from from Ray, our traders. We, we have about let me get this right. Six, six traders uh, at Trader Lion um, that do different work. I'm just working on the TikTok side. We have different people on YouTube and, and uh, on the other channels there. But uh, there's a bunch of free resources out there like his podcast, like us on YouTube. So make sure if you want to get involved, start with that. See if, if we actually know what we're talking about. And <laughs> once you get in the market, once you understand it, then you can take that next step. But um, I think one thing that we really want to stress here is the people that you want to really follow are the people that are going to be upfront and honest with you as much as possible in a tough market, teaching you how to manage risk, not just going all in for the stock that's going to go to the moon, which we've been accustomed in 2020. But now that now you're starting to see the, the number of traders on TikTok, they're going down and the, the real traders on TikTok, they're rising up there. So... Dude, Thank I've you so much for that. coming on and I've doing this. That. This is super fun. Thanks a lot, Nick. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm making content like on a daily basis here on TikTok. Uh, I'm also on the Benzinga YouTube channel on Wednesdays doing uh, back testing over there. Um, uh, and, you know, I got the podcast, hundreds of episodes. So, yeah, it, at some point you can't hide after you put right. out that much content. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you can't stick around if you're not going to be transparent after all that. No, no, absolutely not. Nick, this was a ton of fun. Thanks for letting me uh, come and hang with you, man. Of course. Yeah, have a great rest of your night. And thanks for everyone for it. tuning in. You too, dude. Talk later. Hey, don't forget, before you head out, head to secretinvestingbook.com right now to get your free copy of The Secret Investing Book. This is how to finally get a positively unfair advantage in the stock market. And it has 13 of the secrets that Wall Street does not want you to know. And I want to send this to you for free today. Just help me by covering shipping. And the way you can do that is by going to secretinvestingbook.com. That's secretinvestingbook.com. And I'll ship this out for you right away. Thanks so much. I'll see you there.